Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence, we heal by speaking out. So today I am back with my friend, uh, Marta Fiera. We're talking about polyamory and ethically non-monogamous relationships and also about our queerness. Uh, Would you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Hola, uh, it's Sierra. It's so great to be back uh, to have another conversation with Tasha. Um, I, for those that don't know me, uh, I was legally trafficked from Colombia as an infant. I am Latinx. I'm bi pansexual, polyamorous cisgendered woman who is also an IFS therapist. You know, as I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about my own queerness and when did I first, maybe when did something unlock for me? And uh, for those who have read my book, you all know that that was around the age of 10 for me, some exploration with a little girl in the neighborhood that Mm. made me feel super safe. Yeah. When did you start to kind of notice clues that you were questioning your sexuality? Uh, When did that first happen for you? You know, representation was not what it was when I was younger, even what it is now. So I have a part that feels a little embarrassed to share this, but but what I had was in eighth grade was Cruel Intentions came out, mm-hmm. just a really terrible movie <laughs> on so many levels. But there's a scene where one girl teaches another girl how to French kiss in the park and that was exciting. (laughs) And I was like, these feelings are different. Um, You know, I didn't share them with anybody, but like when you sent the question to me, that was the first thing that like jumped out. So, so eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And then when did you know that, you know, like, oh, I am queer. Yeah. That question is so complicated. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so complicated and because I I was raised somewhere where bi and pansexuality were not presented to me as a thing or, or visible anywhere. There was gay people and there was straight people. And uh, so I didn't really entertain the option of anything other than, well, I must just be straight. And so, but I want to kiss girls. And so what does that mean? Right. And what did the culture tell me about that it meant that I'm just a slutty girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that kissing other girls ultimately is for the consumption of the male gaze. And that that's, that that should be, should be, and is my motivation. I sort of feel like I absorbed that, that I made sense of it from outside. Right. Like, oh, I guess if that's what you're telling me, like, I guess that's what, what it is. So I I don't know when I started identifying as bisexual or even saying that, you know, Mm -hmm. kids weren't saying queer when I was younger, like it was bisexual, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, I think to me, it really was that it was bisexual. Like I, I knew I was attracted to women. I knew I wanted to be closer to them. Right. And, And I put it in that realm, literally very like 
encased only in sexuality. Like the idea that I could be in love with a woman or be with a woman, like that was so far away from me, like mm-hmm. years out in front of me. That that definitely lands, that, that resonates. Um, I can remember, especially to your point about there were gay people and there were lesbians. And there was a stigma, a negative stigma against being bisexual. So you better not be bisexual. You better know you're one or right. the other, you're straight or you're a lesbian or you're gay and, and that's it. Yes. But the goal was to, you were supposed to exist in a heteronormative you know, relationship. You were supposed to be heterosexual. Right. Did religion or faith come, was that a part of your upbringing at all? Absolutely. I was raised very religious and I I actually left the church that I was raised in as a teen because um, because there was voting all through that system of religion at that time about gay marriage. And it, it like ripped the congregation that I was raised in apart. And I had had gay friends since I was 10. I was in theater since I was 10. And so even though my own queerness was like buried in allyship at that mm-hmm. point, as, as our queerness as happens, um, I still was just so infuriated and so hurt. And I, and I, I was like, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's in there, right? It's really rooted in there for sure that like, this is wrong. Yeah. And, and that fear alone kind of keeps you, to me, it just keeps you kind of locked up and repressed. And I don't remember, um, I was having this conversation with somebody and it may have even been you, hell, I don't know. I talked to so many people, (laughs) but, but I was talking to somebody and we were saying that we didn't know that we even had a choice. Totally. Like I can be pan, I can be bi, I can be a lesbian, I can be queer, I can, I have options. Mm-hmm. My parts feel totally seen by you today. You know, when you say that, you know, having these experiences and just being promiscuous and you think, oh, I'm just a hoe, yep. <laughs> you know? Well, and that overlaps exactly with my experience of, of non-monogamy as well, Tasha. Like I can see the roots of that yeah. As a teen, like I can see I was not doing it ethically yeah. because I didn't know there was other ways to do stuff. Right. I didn't right. have any examples. No one told me. So I was trying to be straight. I was trying to be monogamous. I was trying to fit this expansive energy that's inside of me into all these different boxes. And it was exhausting and painful for a lot of people, I think. It is. And, you know, it. As you were speaking, I just started thinking, what a different world we would live in if every child was raised with the freedom to explore their gender identity and sexual orientation. And relationship style. And relationship style. Yes. And if we knew that we didn't have to fit in a certain box in order to be accepted and loved. Yes. And, and shout out to all of my late in life lesbians and late in life queers who are just realizing that. Yes. How different would our lives have been? Yeah. Yeah. So on the topic of um, polyamory, uh, can you speak a little bit about what attracted you to this way of loving and being in relationship? Yeah. So 
again, so, so interesting to just sit with all these questions for this conversation, Tasha. And um, I would say I've only identified as polyamorous for about a year, um, maybe a little bit longer, um, but, but non-monogamous. I mean, that, as I just said, right, that, I can see the roots of that all the way from when I was like 15, 16 years old. Um, as far as not really understanding monogamy, not really understanding why we had to choose one person, not really um, feeling like that was a natural thing to me ever. It just didn't make sense to me. And I didn't know what else there was, but I knew that the way that everybody else was doing it didn't make any sense to me. Um, And by the time I met my uh, current primary partner that I've been with we're coming up on a decade. Um, I, I knew already I didn't want to prom- make any of those promises again. So when even when we started dating, I, I was like, I don't think I can promise you these things that everybody promises each other. I don't think that feels right to me. And value-wise, we were really aligned on that for a long, you know, from the beginning. Um, I think that what I am attracted to about it is, is the freedom. Mm-hmm. freedom to be all of yourself like right and in partnership you know when I come into couples work through IFIO I'm always thinking like one of the ideas here that holds the work is like the idea of trying you know of course we fail but to love and accept all of our partners parts to be mm-hmm. that space for each other right mm-hmm. if I'm asking you to exile a bunch of your parts mm-hmm. to be in this thing with me like what how is that good for anybody? And and it's just not how, it's not how I want to love. For some reason, I thought that you had been into polyamory and for, for, I guess the last 10 years, but, um, but, but it, it, it dawned on me through thinking about this conversation that if we were to look at like the, the rates of divorce, right. Mm-hmm. And an infidelity in marriages. Yes. Damn. Again, we would live, it would be a totally different experience if I'm with, you know, let's say a partner and and that person understands my queerness Mm -hmm. and they understand that love is expansive. Yes. And me loving you does not take away from, or me loving someone else does not take away from me loving you. Yes. And I can have these actually adds to it. It adds to it because I am able to bring my full self. That's yeah. how I at least understand um, ethical non-monogamy, E&M for short. Um, and po- I guess it's polyamory, that's interchangeable. Is that the same thing? I, I don't think they're the same thing. I think okay. a lot of people, again, identify as non-monogamous. And I am saying, I'm not saying ethically non-monogamous just uh, to like, if anyone's noticing that for a reason, because non-monogamy is inherently very ethical when done with non-monogamy yeah. values, which are consent, transparency, honesty, open communication, all of yeah. this. So it, within the non-monogamous community, a lot of us have dropped the E because it feels a little bit redundant and almost like we're arguing, like we're doing an okay thing, we're doing an okay mm-hmm. thing, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's if it's if there's lies and deception and boundary crossing involved, that's not non-monogamy. That's all right. That's right. That's just um, cheating. That's just. That's just cheating. That's <laughs> and hurting people. That's not the same. That's just hurting um, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just causing trauma on your family and shit. So. 
<laughs> so yeah, polyamory, I think is, is that polyamorous people identify around the love more, what you're talking about, that love is expansive, that love builds on mm-hmm. other love and, and believes in the ability to be in love with multiple people in multiple ways in multiple dynamics at, at the same time. And that was kind of my, my personal resistance to identifying as polyamorous was I, I personally did not believe that I could fall in love with anybody besides my primary partner. I just didn't know. I wasn't sure if my heart was capable of that. It didn't feel with my attachment wound. It didn't feel like something that was going to happen. And then of course it happens and, uh, you're surprised, but it, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful experience. Um, and so, yes, that, I, that is how I identify now. But I do think there's um, people that would identify as only one or only the other, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that answers the question of how it differs. How does polyamory differ from swinging, differ from infidelity? Mm-hmm. Swinging is its whole own other community. I don't want to speak to it. I have not had the best interfaces with the community, but I don't want to at all mm-hmm. indict the community about that. So I'm just gonna let swingers talk about swingers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. that, it's a very different thing. Oh, it almost feels like it's it's a subculture. Yeah. All on its own. When I first started thinking about, or not really thinking about, but hearing about uh, polyamory, I was very confused about like, what does this mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, you, you know, you, you have this open relationship and you can bring others in and, and all be in relationship together or separately. And, and there's these different dynamics. But I think that it, it really is beautiful. There, there are people, I, I related, this is probably a bad example, but I related to this. There, there are people that can, that can start a job and they can stay in that job for 40 years and only, and do that one job I'm loving um, this already. Yes. You, you, you know, they, they they manage the spigots on the assembly line and they do a good damn job managing the spigots on the assembly line for 40 yeah. fucking years. And then there are other people that's like, I don't want to manage the spigots anymore. <laughs> I want to go outside. I want to go outside. I want to do something else. Can I travel? Can I do that? You know, yeah. can I do other things? things yes this has been great but but can I bring in some some diversity maybe and 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 just explore and that doesn't take away from this job but can I do some other things and the more you know yourself yeah the more you can love and accept yourself and meet people who can love you in the same way and you can love them in the same way so it's really about finding your people that as you expand, they expand with you. And that doesn't mean that things are perfect, but you're able to work through it, being your whole self the whole time. And you know, the, the community, the, the non-monogamous and, and polyamorous community is extremely growth oriented. You know, mm-hmm. there's, it, it's, it, yeah, it's not easy. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of work maintaining multiple relationships Uh, even multiple platonic sexual relationships it can be a lot of work and uh yeah it's not for everybody but it the the rewards if you if the rewards are appealing enough to you then you'll feel like it's worth it and for me as a traumatized person living this way 
it's an opportunity to get a lot of needs met when I have such an intense deficit inside of me that mm-hmm. I won't, it won't ever be enough, you know, like what, what I've, the loss I've experienced, um, can't be undone, you know, but I, but yeah, is it easier with a lot of love and excitement and yeah, spontaneity in my life? Yeah, it is easier. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then in terms of like the values that you bring to the communities, to the people that you serve, the work that you do, how does, how does that, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's so aligned with IFS because uh, to be right in, in any relationship, um, really right. It's about taking responsibility for your parts, mm-hmm. being the primary caretaker of your parts, right. Speaking for your parts with partners, not from your parts. All of these skills are so essential in non-monogamy and polyamory that IFS is already teaching us. And it just builds on that. Right. And that curiosity of self that U-turn, right? When you're triggered about something a partner is doing or a metamor is doing or whatever, to be able to go, what's happening for me? Instead of like, you know, taking it out in front of you mm-hmm. <laughs> is so essential. And uh, open communication, of course, uh, respecting other people's autonomy, which can be really hard. This, the control <laughs> of heteronormative, mononormative culture is so deeply rooted inside of us that we should possess someone that we should be able to decide what they're allowed to do. Like you bump up against all of these burdens mm-hmm. when you start exploring. Um, and, and yeah, really like the value around, uh, around personal freedom is just, I think it has to be at the center and that, that shared value with your partner too, that, uh, with your partner or partners that, um, you're committed to this, that that even when it's hard, you're committed to having the hard conversations, doing the self-care that you need to do, um, to be a healthy person. It feels like if you can talk about how you feel about another person outside of your primary relationship, you can damn near talk about anything. If if you can be open and share, wow, I met this person and I would really like to get them to know them in a, in a deeper way. I would maybe even like to be sexually intimate with this person. If you can have that discussion, it just seems like you can talk about any fucking thing that comes up. Yeah, there's so much intimacy on the other side of this, these sharings and, and of being, mm-hmm. of really truly being loved for all of your parts mm-hmm. and, and to have all of that witnessed and, and supported. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself as a result of being queer and being poly? Again, there's, for me, there's no talking about this without naming that I'm a traumatized person because for mm-hmm. me, polyamory walks me into the very center of my wound just just the center of it you know so it's uh when you have an attachment wound it's really the things I have learned the things that I have had to move through um have been extremely difficult but I I am that person I have the value I'm like this isn't you know I feel really clear when I'm triggered that this person that triggered me did not create this feeling inside of me like they're poking me somewhere that's like really untended, really unhealed. And, and then that's up to me now. And I I'm committed to that healing in and outside of my relationship style in and outside of my queerness. And so 
So I've consented right to that, but yeah, is it super activating sometimes? Yes, absolutely. And so I, I feel really clear though, like clearer than ever, what stuff is mine, what I'm working through, what I need to tend to. And I've learned just such a tremendous amount. Oh, I'm getting emotional about, um, how to soothe what comes up yeah. and you know, I would say that my primary trauma emotion is terror. And so in the beginning, I used to say it was like, you feel like you're walking a plank, right? Like literally off a pirate ship and you're gonna, and and, and whatever the thing is, right? It could even be like, um, they're not coming home until 10 o'clock tonight instead of nine o'clock. Like in the beginning, you're so controlling and every little, little piece of opening and change feels like you're gonna die and you're losing everything, right? So it feels like, you're going to step off the end of the plank and fall into nothingness. But every time you do that, and there's still ground underneath you, you learn that everything is going to be okay. And mm -hmm. that kind of data for traumatized parts is so huge. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the way in which we are free with each other now is entirely different and entirely based on a million little lessons that are all like baby exposure therapy moments of actually I can do this thing that's scary and I am still safe. You know, I, at my core is this deep feeling of unsafe, that I'm unsafe in this world every minute, every day. So when I get brought to my wound, when, when I get triggered and brought into the center of it, that's where I am. And yet I am okay. Right. It's not real. It's not happening right now. Hmm. And so I'm doing that work every day. <laughs> Most days I'm doing some little yeah. piece of that. And again, it's easier because I know I, I'm in really deep relationship with parts of me now. I love talking to you because you fucking get it. Like you just get it. Um, you know, just because you, you've you've said, you know, as a traumatized person, and and I love that. Um, there's somebody that's known me like my whole my whole life, and and we've we've connected since we were we were children, and and are pretty close. And she says, Tasha, you know, you've always been just like this lover. Like you, you just love people. Like you fall in love and you just, you just get so attached to people. And my attachment comes from trauma. Yes. Either I'm going to be terrified of you. Yes. Or I'm going to, I'm going to fall so hard because mm -hmm. I'm just that type. And I, and, and so if I connect with you, I'm going to connect with you so deeply and then I'm going to scare the shit out of myself. Yeah. Because it's like, oh my God, what if I say something wrong? What if I do something wrong? What if you abandon me? What if you leave me? And that's all childhood stuff. So I imagine and knowing me that that, that would be one of my, my triggers is just the fear of this person that my heart has grown to love leaving but can you say more about like what parts do you notice that come up when you are in a a new relationship or or just you know meeting somebody or really vibing with that person? Mm, okay, so not what I thought you were gonna ask me. Okay, um, I, I mean, yeah, you know, I I 
I test, I proudly test as securely attached these days, but you know, the, the roots of my attachment are in anxious attachment and, 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 you know, I really, when I talk to clients about attachment styles, I talk about like, it's, it's a moving thing, right? So like most days at this point in my healing journey, I'm securely attached, but you catch me on the wrong day with not enough sleep, no food, whatever, it's going to not look as cute. (laughs) And so, you know, parts that, uh, you know, I have a part that tracks the seconds between text messages. It's Mm -hmm. got like a running Mm -hmm. clock and is like updating me about how long it's been. You know, I have a part, um, yeah, a part that is constantly catastrophizing, like when and how it's going to end. And yes, like, what am I going to do wrong? And you know, all of that stuff, but it doesn't, uh, again, I know them so well at this point that i I don't act from it. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, I hear it and, and I'm, I'm talking to these parts and they're again in, in a grounded space, they're clear that like, it will be okay if the other people leave. To me, that's, that's the essence of this journey that we're on as traumatized people is, is being able to acknowledge that just because I am healed and I'm in therapy and I'm a therapist does not mean that everything in my life is like, oh, it's all great. And I no longer have any issues. No, the things happen and you work through them. Mm -hmm. And at the end, if you're lucky, you're able to tap into, it really will be okay. IFS teaches us to, to drill down, right? Yes. Yes. And of course, I, I have queer and polyamorous clients and I bring a lot of my experience to, to that work, but I bring my polyamorous values to all of my clients on all relationships, on all levels, because being polyamorous has changed the way I approach all of my relationships. Mm. And the values that I bring from there are, I think, so helpful for everyone. You know, we're not a relationally healthy culture. That's right. No matter your relationship style. And so, you know, a lot of polyamory is like really creating relationships really consciously, having so many conversations about consent, about all these different things, you know, and all relationships really ideally require that of us. And so, you know, you ask about like the, what have I learned? And, you know, and, and that's billowed out to other relationships too. And, and my primary partner and I will often talk about like uh, other shifts we've noticed in ourselves and our lives that are outside of our romantic relationships where you can see the growth, like, oh, I handled that so different that I want to handle that a few years ago. And that's because of what I have learned in my polyamorous healing. Hmm. Being poly and being queer, how does that change or impact you even in platonic relationships? non-sexual relationships how does it affect my friendships my other relationships yeah how does it what does i feel like it 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 would bring some really beautiful dynamics even in your platonic non-sexual relationships Mm -hmm. i mean i think even yeah i think it just so compersion is a is a polyamorous term it means um to have like joy for another person's joy essentially right so within the context of polyamory it's like I see my partner with his partners and I feel happy for them and joyful and my heart opens. And, um, but you know, compersion extends, of course, again, far beyond that. Right. So I think some of it is that, that I feel more genuinely just happy for people, for the things that they have going on. Um, 
I feel like one of my first polyamorous teachings that I didn't know was that was um, when my dog like fell in love with our neighbor when we lived in Seattle and he was her favorite person in the whole world. And I had to work with some parts that were like, I'm supposed to be your favorite. I'm I do everything for you. How is this guy your favorite? Because he's got the treats, right? Like, and I had to work through some of that and go, this is a really beautiful thing for her. They have a really beautiful relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I love her, don't I want that for her? Yeah. You know, again, this was years and years ago, but when I think about it, I think, oh, that was the first time I learned about if you love people, you should want them to have everything that they can have in this life. In my mind, it, it would bring, it would make it easier to have different relationships and to navigate different personalities, different cultures, uh, different races, just open, opening your heart to, to different people. Yes. And being able to maintain these various relationships and, and, and having friends over here does not diminish that you also got close relationships over here. What have you learned about love as a result? What have you learned about love? Definitely that love, love is expansive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're really, you know, I, I'm not done working through this burden, which is so deeply ingrained from culture and media, which is if he loves her, he does not love you. Mm. It's so deep. And I, and I, it's not what I believe at all. It's not my value, but that burden is still inside of me and I'll, I'll still bump up against it in certain moments. And, you know, it's like you find something old in your house and you're like, what's this doing here? I don't need this anymore. Like it's, what is it doing still in me? But it's deep. We learn it. We learn it really young, Um, but it's just not true. And, and this, this experience that love is so expansive, um, that love is abundant, right? Also like it's scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset stuff. And again, if you're a traumatized person, your brain's going to lead toward scarcity. That's um, right. And so, you know, I really felt like I was losing. There's was so many moments in my journey where I felt like I was losing so many, so many things, right. But definitely love. Mm-hmm. And and, and that feeling of being cherished or, or whatever it was, but it just, it's, it's not been true. Not one time has it been true. Um, mm. And so that's a really incredible lesson, especially for someone, again, that's pretty wired for fear that like, there's nothing to be afraid of. If there, if it's love and good energy, like then it's going to be a good thing. In these relationships, going back to the expansiveness If I have a partner and they're attracted to someone that does not make me unattractive. If I have a partner and, and they love someone or they fall in love with someone else that doesn't diminish the love that they have for me and my place in their life. It just allows them to kind of explore their curiosities, explore their attractions. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of safety in that relationship. You know, we don't question a mother's capacity to love multiple children. Right. It, everyone would argue, of course, a mother can love multiple children in a boundless way. So mm-hmm. why? Why around romance and sex is it so different, right? So like, I could rant about some larger systemic stuff now, right? But like capitalism wants us to all do it a certain way that keeps us feeling empty and ready to spend money. Mm-hmm. 
there's bigger forces at play here in why we're so repressed in these areas, why we believe it has to be a certain way and who benefits from that. Oh, you're now you're speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who benefits from, from us being stuck in these identities and, yes. and personhood and womanhood and, and manhood and all of these patriarchy. You know, for me, Mm-hmm. my queerness is such a part of this. You know, I can't imagine ever not being non-monogamous because I don't want to give up having women in my life in this way that is so beautiful and healing and magical and and that I went without for so many years. I'm not giving that up. Mm-hmm. And I think that our uh, our identity journeys you know, as queer people being raised in a world that doesn't even really want us to exist can be so long before we can actually receive, give and receive love from other queer people. Mm. No, when that happened for me, I'd already been, you know, years into loving this man that I love with every cell of my being. Mm. And we're in it. We are in this. Mm. (laughs) And... Um, and I don't want to lose him, but I also want some other stuff. Speak and, on it. Yes. Yeah. And and so again, to, you know, my trauma healing is so aligned with all of this because I don't think I could have stepped into my queerness, stepped into my polyamorous mm-hmm. um, relationship style without all of the trauma healing that I did before it to get back to myself. Mm. I'm going to throw you another curveball. If you're speaking to your younger self, what would you want her to know about love and queerness? Uh, I just like really want her to know that there's nothing wrong with her. Oh yeah. Mm. That all of these feelings and impulses that she has are are good Mm -hmm. and healthy and, and loving. And yeah, she just carried so much shame. Yeah. About she, all of it. About all of it. She was born good enough. Mm-hmm. In terms of relationships, I feel like we covered everything, but is there anything else that you've learned about relationships that we haven't covered? You know, I I, I think I, again, I, I always bring this into couples work, but I, I think it, it's really something that I believe so strongly that of what comes up between partners is old, getting played out. And so, you know, do I have polyamorous dreams, like Mm -hmm. partners that I'd like to have or configurations in my polycule that I have dream big dreams about, about like what I would like my life to look like, who and how I would like to love? Sure. But why I'm doing this, why I live my life this way is, is for my healing is for my relationship with myself, right? Relationships are, um, growing machines. Ideally. I think that's from, oh, I can't remember, uh, passionate love. So that's from passionate love, mm-hmm. uh, which is a couple's book that years ago. That's not technically IFS, but like it's got a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> um, and yeah that, you know, and that's, and, and, and again, if, if the focus is on, you know, not being so dysregulated by having people moving in and out of your life, that the way to do that is to, to kind of like, yeah, walk in and and do it and, and know that 
the point of all of this is, is me knowing myself, is me being in the deepest relationship with myself that I possibly can be. So, you know, people are going to come in and they are going to leave. And a, and a lot of people are just here for a season and that's okay. Mm. What can I experience? What can I learn? What can I experience? What can I learn? That in and of itself is just so beautiful. If, if we can, again, opening up our hearts and, and we don't have to marry every person. <laughs> we can have fun. We can just see what's there. And, and maybe, you know, if we allow ourselves to be open, that, that part of us that wants to control, that wants to hold on to, maybe those parts will soften and just let us come into the fullness of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, again, just see wh- what's there. What do we want? I think all of life is about finding joy and, and freedom and peace in, in the places and, and in ways that we can. And certainly this lifestyle, I feel like it adds to that. It, it ushers us into that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole way through, you are learning about yourself and what you're into and what do you want and what makes you happy, what makes you feel good. When we think about pleasure, Mm-hmm. It helps us to access what what's pleasurable. What does that mean for us? And I imagine it also helps us to create community. Am, am I on track, or or what, you know, any, anything to say on that? Yes. Yeah. No, I would agree with all of that. Yeah. But but for for those that 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 are wanting to approach, wanting to to kind of explore their sexuality, for people that are wanting to even wanting to explore their relationship dynamics but they are afraid. What's one bit of encouragement that you can maybe say to them? Uh, I think just, you know, respect your own pacing. You know, you, some of your parts may want to go a lot faster than some of your other parts, right? And that can be hard, but to be patient and to get resources, like get connected to community and get access to information, start reading, start listening to podcasts, um, because that can give you a nice little window into like thinking through some things like, oh, how might I feel if that happened to me? And you can start to find those trailheads that might come up for you. Mm-hmm. When I share my identity, it gives other people permission to explore, to question their identity. Yes. And to even say, hmm, I think maybe I am queer. Maybe I'm, hmm, you know? Yeah. Has that, that's, has that been your experience that when you are able to say, this is who I am, it, it also gives other people permission to. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely like an interesting phenomenon. If you, t- it, it, it billows out, it will billow out. Like if, if you start disclosing to people, which of course, you know, some people, everyone has to decide their boundaries on that. Of course, not everyone's out to their family. Not everyone's out at work. Not everyone's out. You know, it's not the safest world still for us to exist in any of these marginalized ways. Um, but if, when people are open about it, it's interesting. Like it'll even spread through a family system. Like, oh, now my sibling is experimenting with this and their spouse mm-hmm. and yeah, it because uh, yes, some people hear it and they, it cracks something open and they're like, "What? <laughs> you can yeah. do it that way? Like, yeah, you can do it any way you want, man." Yeah, you have so many options. So many options. And and I think that's what's beautiful in 
in owning your identities and being authentic in who you are. Sometimes it's not always safe to do that though. Um, but, but in the places where it is safe is it gives other people who have been repressed or oppressed Mm -hmm. permission to be curious. Mm -hmm. You're not locked into being a fucking heterosexual person. Like you're not locked into this relationship dynamic of only being with this one person for the rest of your life. If that's not what you really want, there are so many options. So I have pledged to myself to be true to who I am Yes. from this point on awesome. so that I can call in other people who are true to who they are, calling them into my life. And, and we all leave this earth, hopefully being the people that we were always designed to, to be. Yeah. So anyhow, I can be a little bit long-winded, but I want to say thank you so much for talking to me um, about polyamory and queerness. And um, I can't wait for this episode to come out. Yay. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Tasha. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time. Thank you.